Hello and welcome to the Almost Enlightened Podcast, a show about whatever I want. Before I begin today's episode, entitled Unlearning, I'd like to thank my new listeners from Vietnam, the United Arab Emirates, Ukraine, Taiwan, and Syria. I am so grateful that you're tuning in, and I'm utterly amazed that you found my podcast and have subscribed. As this podcast continues to grow, it's my sincere hope that I may begin taking it on the road so that I can meet you, the people that support me. I think that learning more about your cultures will enhance my experience and allow me an ability to tap into new knowledge that'll contribute to the growth and expansion of this show. So I offer you a very, very heartfelt thank you. I'd like to begin today's episode by sharing a story with you. This one's about a boy who had recently gone trick-or-treating for Halloween. And for those of you listening outside of North America, Halloween on our continent is celebrated by children that dress up in costumes and go from door to door saying, trick or treat, to the people that open the door. The host of the house who opens the door then gives the children some type of candy and the children say thank you and proceed to the next house. Over the span of a couple of hours, you can only imagine how much candy is accumulated. It's gotta be one of the dumbest traditions if you ask me, but even so, it's widely celebrated on our continent, I'm ashamed to say. Upon getting home after a night of trick-or-treating, the child spreads all of the candy over his bedroom floor, salivating at the chemicals and sugars that will surely rot his teeth and upset his stomach, but asks his parents nevertheless how much of the candy he can eat. One of his parents grabs a child-sized cup and says, whatever you can fill up in this cup is the amount you can eat tonight, but no more. The child happily agrees and begins to fill the cup with candies. At about the halfway mark, the boy notices a whole bunch of chocolates that he loves at the bottom of his Halloween bag and begins to fill the rest of the cup up with these chocolates. These are my favorite chocolates ever, says the little boy. He gets a little frustrated as he gets to the top of the cup because he can't fit as many of the chocolates as he wants into it. They start piling up and falling onto the floor. The child begins to cry. And that is the end of our story. What a terrible story, huh? I tell you that story because it's not too dissimilar to how we learn in life. That is to say that as our proverbial cups becometh full of information, patterns, habits, and perceptions, there's little room left for the new things that you might come to love and appreciate. Had the boy thought for a few minutes, he may have decided to turn his cup upside down, empty all of its contents, and re-begin by filling it up, this time with his favorite candies. But alas, it's not a tactic that a lot of us contemplate or even realize is an option when it comes to the hardwiring of our brain circuitry. In a paper authored by doctors David Whitebread and Sue Bingham entitled Habit Formation and Learning in Young Children, they maintain that by four to five years old, and I quote here, the brain increases in size fourfold, 
largely as a consequence of a rapid increase in the number of synaptic connections between neurons in the cerebral cortex, end quote. They go on to say that each child's development and learning are highly dependent upon the type of physical and social environment in which they live, since these synaptic connections arise from and are selectively adapted by the child's specific experiences. Now, the reason I highlight those sentences is because it demonstrates a correlation between experiences and neurological hardwiring, wherein hardwiring in a computer, say, is the act of creating permanently connected circuits that cannot be altered by software. Now, I'll admit that our brains aren't anything like computers, but there are some similarities, especially when it comes to, and I'm using quotation marks here, hardwiring. By the time we enter the school system, a lot of our hardwiring has already been put in place. Children have typically already learned how to behave in a group setting by observing their parents, their siblings, their friends, their neighbors, as well as televised and social media encounters, to name just a few ways. But it gets amplified as they engage in observational experience-based learning at school. In short, your environment plays a monstrous role in creating who you are. That is, if you believe that you are your behavior, your habits, your emotional tendencies, preferences, and friend groups. Fortunately, yours truly doesn't believe that all of those things that most people recognize as you in capital letters are indeed the real you. In my opinion, those are the very things blocking you from expressing your true self. So if the expression of your true self is censored by the hard wiring in your brain, does it make sense that we evaluate techniques that'll let the real you show up? Hey, you're such an agreeable audience. I'm glad you said yes. So let's talk about the art of unlearning. Unlearning can be a terrifying prospect because it requires the dismantling of our egos, which is the very thing most of us believe we are. That is to say, the package that constitutes our self-worth. Many of us have tried to do it, but stopped immediately because it was a painful process. But what if some of which you learned growing up was flat out wrong, doesn't serve you anymore, or is what's preventing you from evolving and taking the next step in your development and evolution? Without question, the process of unlearning can be mightily uncomfortable because it involves letting go of that which we have clung to. And for many of us, that which we've clung to our entire lives. Let's look at an example. In North American culture, and in many other cultures, drinking alcohol is a very acceptable social norm. In fact, one might argue that there's a stigma attached to those that don't drink. So imagine if the act of unlearning meant that you examined your drinking habits and decided that they no longer serve you. We actually have friends around which you might say drinking is the nucleus of our relationship. It might be scary to think that those relationships could come to an end. What if you stopped smoking, stopped gossiping, or stopped gambling? Does that mean an end to the friendships that revolved around those acts? Perhaps it does, but not necessarily. 
What makes these prospects terrifying for many people is that we humans tend to focus much more on what we stand to lose than that which we stand to gain. We're a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush kind of society. We fear the unknown. But an ignorance is bliss kind of mentality isn't what's going to allow us to discover the unknown treasures that reside on the other side of our current beliefs. Fortunately, the human brain doesn't require the same type of invasive re-engineering that might be required to unwire a computer's hardwiring. To begin the process of human unwiring or unlearning, all you need is a little desire. And that desire is firmly located in your heart. If you don't feel it, you probably don't desire it. But when you're moved by something, that's the same place that desire is located. When you find your desire, it's actually the energy source that'll prompt you to open your mind. And you surely can't let anything out if it's not open, can you? So the process of unlearning requires you to open your mind so that you may begin the process of examining and ridding your mind of that which you deem to be no longer necessary. One way that I've found to be a particularly useful way of opening my mind is to ask questions. I ask them of people I admire, and I frequently ask them of myself. Whenever I ask myself a question that makes me feel uncomfortable, I know I'm on to something big. Typically, the discomfort one feels while asking difficult questions points you in the direction of a fascinating revelation. Consider the following radical question that changed the way we see the world. That question is, why do the continents seem to fit together? The implications of answering that question or pursuing it necessarily challenged us to see the world in a different way. And that's exactly what must have happened to Alfred Wegener before he formulated his groundbreaking thoughts on continental drift. But as a prerequisite to unleashing the imagination and becoming a better version of oneself, it's imperative to begin the process of unlearning. Another tactic that's worked well for all kinds of luminaries and innovators is to immerse oneself in the unknown. Traveling to a foreign country works really well. Joining new social groups is also beneficial. And even taking a course on something completely unfamiliar is a brilliant way to replace old ideas with new perspectives. Speaking from experience, many of my greatest creations have come from a thirst to explore the unknown. For example, even your boring cooking habits can take on a radical shift if you were to spend some time exploring foreign cuisine in a country that you've never been to before. In these cases, you can distill the actions, actions like traveling, joining new groups, and taking new courses, to risk-taking. I've surrounded myself with a lot of very successful people throughout my life, and I have yet to meet one of them that didn't have to take a massive risk in order to get to where they are. Taking risks forces new situations, vulnerability, and fresh perspectives. And of those three results to taking risks, vulnerability is the code to unlocking the door to your old habits. 
And an openness to vulnerability is a major component in the unlearning process. It turns out that even our fears are learned and require unlearning. You certainly didn't pop out of the womb and fear judgment, death, poverty, and disease. No, all of those things were learned at some point in your journey. And as hard as I've tried to figure out where and how I inherited or learned my fears, I've come to realize that it really doesn't matter. Because if I want to make a change and replace those fears with joy, I can. And it begins by unlearning. To me, tabula rasa, or a blank slate, is the ideal state in which to begin relearning. As we venture into the unknown, ask questions, explore our fears, exercise our curiosity, and become more vulnerable, the whole process can be supercharged if we practice the simple art of meditation. In a meditative state, the ego ceases to exist. It's unnecessary in a state in which time and space are dissolved. In this state, the mind is pure consciousness and connected to the one consciousness. With a little intent, a meditative state can be the perfect state from which to seek answers. As one continues to unlearn old habits, it's not to say that the void should be filled up with replacement ideas. What might be more interesting is to fundamentally change the way in which we think. Let me give you an example. These days, I'm purposely attempting to see the world in a much more non-linear fashion. After all, the brain doesn't compute in a linear fashion, drawing its information from one part of its anatomy. But it is how we've been conditioned to think. Rather, the brain draws information from different regions of itself in order to consolidate memory, sensory input, intuition, perception, and so on in order to understand matters. Yet we take all of that information and attempt to put it into a coherently linear and familiar storyline. Instead, I think it would behoove us to explore the prospect of thinking more like the internet, whereby we're free to take information from different sources, evaluate that information, and come up with new ways of executing on these seemingly disparate parcels of knowledge. In some circles, they call that associative thinking. In fact, psychology today maintains that, and I quote, associative thinking occurs when all avenues are open in your brain and your mind, and you allow your mind to free associate, or automatically link up ideas, thoughts, observations, sensory input, memory of existing knowledge, and your subconscious. Rather than relying solely on what you know or have observed in relation to what you are focused on, you allow any and all thoughts to arise, which helps your brain's neurons to spark and connect in unique ways, end quote. Isn't that an invigorating thought? If you simply empty the tank of your previous knowledge and fill it up with new knowledge, you're missing the point. What we truly want to unlearn is how we learn. And in my opinion, the more we unlearn, the closer we'll get to using our brains and our minds as the supercomputers they're capable of being. There won't ever be a quantum computer on the planet that can rival what we are capable of creating, 
when, and only it's a matter of when, we begin to tap into our true potential. Psychology Today got it completely right when they referenced a connection to the subconscious. Because it's my belief that we're only beginning to understand that the doorway to true knowledge is through the subconscious. As a parting thought, I'm going to suggest that we do exactly what we were often chastised for doing during our formative years of education, and that is to daydream. The beauty of so many people working at home these days is that we're more free than we've historically been to take a few minutes and simply dream, read an interesting article, do a quick meditation, do a yoga session, or just allow our minds to wander. Provided the government doesn't take those things away as well, I'll add sarcastically. But trust me, If you get in the habit of allowing your mind to explore, you will find that it often wants to explore curious ways that'll solve many of your most perplexing challenges. And I could do an entire episode on the countless times I've stepped back from what I was working on simply to let the mind be free. And in those moments, I've come up with ideas that have radically benefited my life and the lives of others. And that is no joke. Without question, learning is cool, but unlearning is even cooler. You'll be surprised to discover that one of the big secrets to unlearning is to do the exact opposite of what you would normally do. Take a page out of George Costanza's book and see if your bold new approach also gets you hired with the New York Yankees. Hey, thanks for listening today. I am so appreciative of your support and your love. And always know that I appreciate you.